Hi there. Welcome back to Good Distinctions. I'm your host, Will Wright, and Good Distinctions are the spice of life. Today, we are looking at holiness and the liturgy. Now, this is drawn from an uh, article that I had submitted and published with Adoramus Bulletin. Uh, I'll link that in the show notes so you can check that out there. Uh, but it, it's a really important topic and something that I think is fairly practical. A lot of the terminology that I'm using today uh, is going to be a little bit more technical. Uh, but if you have any questions, feel free to comment and I'll answer. And uh, I just want to make sure that, that people get this because, you know, a lot of what I'm presenting today, it's not mine. It's It belongs to a, a man named Dr. David Fagerberg, who is a professor emeritus with Notre Dame. He is an amazing liturgical theologian. And so I want to share some of his thoughts with you today on holiness and the liturgy. The profound and universal call to holiness animated the Second Vatican Council in the 1960s. The saints of the church are esteemed because of their desire to follow our Lord Jesus Christ closely, to cooperate with his grace, to glorify the Father, and to move with the promptings of the Holy Spirit. The saints stand as witnesses of fidelity to Christ and his church. And they're beacons of hope, and they radiate with the unquenchable charity of the Almighty. Now, whether in the small daily actions of love of, or dramatic and extraordinary moments, the saints show us how to pursue the holiness which we're all called to. St. Jose Maria Escriva in 1928 illustrates this, this sort of daily understanding of holiness, when he said this. He said, quote, there is something holy, something divine, hidden in the most ordinary situations, and it's up to each of you to discover it. In other words, holiness is meant to thrive in the ordinary. And the goal of each person, without exception, is holiness. This goal is most found is found most profoundly and most intimately in the church's liturgy. The following is is really a reflection on the thought of David Fagerberg, emeritus professor of liturgical theology at Notre Dame. Fagerberg's work is a fan is a fascinating and fruitful combination of the elements of uh, quite a few things: sacramental theology, Eastern liturgical and mystical thought, linguistic philosophy, scholasticism, G.K. Chesterton, and C.S. Lewis. Fagerberg's eclectic mix of interests regularly leads to thought-provoking insights worthy of further investigation and mediation. I absolutely love him. Uh, one of my coworkers, uh, Sean, also, also we, we talk about him all the time. In fact, we bonded over our love of Dr. Fagerberg's work. Uh, so just a phenomenal gift to the church and, and hopefully to you and I as well today. The twofold goal of the sacred liturgy is two things, the, the glorification of God and the sanctification of man. So glorifying God and making us holy. And how does this latter aspect take place? Is it enough to simply go to mass? Do we have to do anything further? Well, in his work on liturgical asceticism, uh, that's A-S-C-E-T-I-C-I-S-M, uh, and mysticism, Fagerberg has developed a fruitful understanding of the holiness of those who actively participate in the liturgy. He explains the progression in this way. He says, liturgical mysticism is the development of graces received in baptism, 
liturgical asceticism is the process which develops those graces. And the product of those graces is a liturgical theologian who is enlightened. So growth and holiness is, is part and parcel of active participation in the liturgy. In Fagerberg's view, because the aim of liturgy is holiness and a mystic is a holy person, without a fertile heart, the sower's seeds cannot bear much fruit. But, but how does this active participation in the liturgy bear fruit? And what's necessary for an open, disposed, and fertile heart? Providing a further development of the concept of liturgical mysticism, Fagerberg says this. He says, the liturgy doesn't exist to be celebrated. The liturgy exists to celebrate, sacramentally, the perpetual presence of the incarnate one who, by unifying the infinite with the finite in his own hypostatic union, makes possible the deification of those with whom the same form of life is shared by grace. And so there's a couple of different terms that I want to go over in there. So uh, perpetual presence, sacramentally. Okay, A sacrament is when something is made present in an outward way uh, by signs and symbols showing an internal reality, an invisible supernatural reality. Perpetual presence just means that Christ is always with us, the incarnate one, the, the word made flesh. He is the unifying of the infinite with the finite. In his hypostatic human uh, union, a, a hypostasis, a hypostasis, which means a person. And so in the person of Jesus Christ, a divine person, we have two complete natures, fully human and fully divine. Uh, and that makes possible the deification, dia, deification coming from the Latin deus, meaning God, and ification meaning like to make. So uh, making us like God, sharing in his divine life by grace. Okay, so with all that, let's read that again. The liturgy doesn't exist to be celebrated. The liturgy exists to celebrate sacramentally the perpetual presence of the incarnate one by unifying the infinite with the finite in his own hypostatic union makes possible the deification of those with whom the same form of life is shared by grace. So thus, whether we engage the liturgy through purely internal or external participation, these common prayers of the church are ordered to an encounter with Jesus Christ, communion with him, with a resulting change and an adjustment in our own hearts. In terms of liturgical asceticism, Fagerberg writes, first, the assembly encounters the Holy One. Second, the assembly is changed by consequences of this encounter. Third, the assembly must adjust to this change. And it is this adjustment which he defines as theological. So in this ongoing pattern of encounter, change, and adjustment, we grow in holiness and are made more like God. And this isn't merely a, a prerequisite for liturgy. A goal during liturgy or an effect of liturgy, it's a participation in the life of the Blessed Trinity. In order then to encounter the triune God in the liturgy, we must be fully engaged, conscious to some degree of what's taking place and active in that sacred action. As Fagerberg puts it, holiness is one of the aims of liturgy. So active participation in the liturgy in a real sense 
belongs long before the entrance procession and extends long after the dismissal. However, the liturgy is also a tangible way for us to grow in holiness, right? The goal. In this way, the liturgy becomes the source and summit of the Christian life, as the Catechism of the Catholic Church puts it in 1324. It's the source of the Christian life because it's a privileged place of encounter with the Holy One in whom we live and move and have our being. The nature of the encounter as the celebration of the perpetual presence of Christ is the summit of the Christian life because it draws us into the heavenly reality. And so then we can look at liturgical asceticism. So moving on from liturgical mysticism. Fagerberg beautifully draws us into the reality of the mystical and ordinary, yet somehow also extraordinary, encounter with the divine in the sacred liturgy. But he also speaks of liturgical asceticism. Asceticism comes from the Greek word eschesis, which means to work. It's the type of work and discipline that an athlete would undertake in training for a competition. Through this training, the ascetic becomes resistant to obstacles which arise and can accomplish tasks set before him. In the context of religion, asceticism takes on a spiritual dimension where we train to combat the temptations which come from the world, the flesh, and the devil. Liturgical asceticism, Fagerberg explains, is distinct from religious asceticism, not in, as he says, the practices employed, but by the cause and end to which they are employed. Liturgical asceticism is a means of participating in Christ. Just as every mystery of the church exists to participate in the mystery of Christ, this understanding of liturgy extends the way of living liturgically beyond the rite of the Mass itself. To be a liturgical ascetic is to cooperate with God's grace in our daily lives and to allow God to draw us to himself and to transform us to be more like him. The fact that our cooperation is necessary for this is a mystery. God created us in such a way that our nature as human beings gives us as Fagerberg puts it, the capacity to freely and willingly in the process of growing into the likeness of God. We were made for communion with God. By baptism, we are grafted on to Christ and made co-heirs with him. God does not expect us to do the work on our own. Instead, he gives us his grace and invites our free response of faith and cooperation. And more than that, he emptied himself, became man, suffered, died, rose, ascended, and sent his Holy Spirit among us. By liturgical asceticism, we are opening our hearts for God to come to us and allowing him to do the work of making us more like him. As Fagerberg puts it, the principal subject of the liturgy is the Holy Spirit, but, the, but we cooperate in the liturgy with him. God energizes Man synergizes. Every liturgical assembly is aflame with the fire of the Holy Spirit, just as at the first Pentecost. This vision gives life to the idea that the church in her liturgy is ever ancient and ever new. And for we human beings who grow gradually and in stages, God knows we need practice. Thus, Fagerberg observes that we practice the faith until we get it right. The interior spirit must find peace 
from the passions, he says, liturgical asceticism, in order to stand before the burning bush and catch fire, which would be liturgical mysticism, which is possible in every liturgical experience of the church. And that would be liturgical theology. That's why we are thrown into liturgy week after week, year after year, like a stone is thrown into a rock tumbler for polishing, end quote. And so where does this lead us? This leads us to conversion, change, and adjustment. In the sacred liturgy, we live the liturgical calendar of the, calendar of the church. We enter into the mystery of Christ and allow this encounter to reveal certain things to us. Perhaps the Holy Spirit will reveal some insight into the person of Jesus through whom we see the Father. If we're humble and docile with a view to holiness, the grace of God and our encounter with him will reveal the consequences of our lives. We will have greater self-knowledge and self-possession to cooperate with God's grace to change what needs to change in our lives. These adjustments, whether small or large, are a fundamental part of the process by which God makes us more like himself, a process known as deification in the West and theosis in the East, coming from the Greek theos for uh, God. Fagerberg reminds us of the need for vigilance when he quotes the advice of a hermit from sayings of the De desert fathers. It says this, the devil is like a hostile neighbor and you are like a house. The enemy continually throws all the dirt that he can find into your house. It's your business to throw out whatever he throws in. If you neglect to do this, your house will be so full of mud that you will not be able to get inside. From the moment he begins to throw it in, put it out again, bit by bit. And so with Christ's help, your house will remain clean. Now the dirt being thrown are the various movements of the soul contrary to our nature. If we're not careful, these passions will pile up and keep us from seeing God when we encounter him. Further, the spiritual dirt and grime can harden our hearts. As Fagerberg points out, the sacraments cannot take root in hardened hearts, like seeds cannot take root on the soil of a beaten path. In the end, any conversion, change, and adjustment will come from the cross of Jesus Christ. This is truly at the center of full active and conscious participation in the liturgy. One of the main aims of the liturgy is holiness and mystical communion with the Lord. Our active participation in the liturgy brings us closer to Christ. God beckons us to eternal life and conforms us more and more to himself, but we must unite our hearts, minds, and wills to the center of time, the cross. Everything, Fagerberg says, of the cross leads up to it and everything flows out of it. So the fundamental reality of the liturgy and our participation in it is ordered to the cross. As Fagerberg so beautifully puts it, if we are to fully consciously and actively participate in the life of Christ, then we must embrace what he embraced. He embraced the cross from love out of obedience. The great paradox of Christianity is our focal point for holiness. To live, we must die to ourselves. To be free, we must abandon ourselves to Christ. To come to eternal life, we must go through the grave. 
as Fagerberg poetically puts it, every grave is an entrance to Hades. Only one grave is its exit. Undoubtedly, amid debates of numerous sorts regarding the liturgy, there can be no debate that we are called to be saints. Dr. Fagerberg's work on liturgical asceticism and liturgical mysticism shows us the beauty and absolute necessity of holiness as a prerequisite for active participation in the liturgy and thus for becoming more like God. This is not to say that perfection is necessary. What's required is our desire to be holy, our cooperation with God's grace. The work begins before the liturgy, is strengthened by our encounter with the Lord in the liturgy, and leads to our continual change and adjustment beyond the liturgy. All this work begins with God, happens by his grace and providence, and is ordered towards him. What he requires is our cooperation. So I hope that's been helpful to you. I hope that we have a little bit firmer grasp on what full conscious and active participation in the liturgy actually means. Uh, this is something that I'm currently studying in depth. Uh, I'm potentially studying more. I'm discerning whether or not to start a PhD program uh, in just that question. Uh, I'm studying the, the full conscious and active participation in the liturgy. What does that actually mean? There's a lot of debates in Catholic circles about whether it's more internal or external or a mix of both. Uh, and I'm looking at the cross and the Paschal mystery as a whole, sort of as the interpretive key of that. So anyway, pray for me as, as I discern that. And uh, if you've enjoyed this episode, please share it with others. Uh, let more people know about uh, the work of Dr. Fagerberg through this episode. And uh, if you've enjoyed this and want more um, sort of explorations of all sorts of different things, go to gooddistinctions.com. There's all sorts of topics on various things that have been written about, spoken about, lots more to come, lots of uh, guest interviews coming up that I'm very excited about, and some more solo episodes on uh, various topics. If you have a, a topic that you'd like covered, please email me at gooddistinctions at gmail.com, uh, or you can leave a comment on YouTube or reply or uh, send a message on Instagram. Lots of ways to get in touch, so please feel free to reach out. Also, if you've enjoyed this and you want to support the work of Good Distinctions, please go to gooddistinctions.com and sign up as a paid subscriber and Substack. You can uh, it's only five dollars a month, uh, but you know it would go a long way to help pay for all the various software and equipment and things uh, that make this show possible. I can't do it without your help. And well, that's it. For uh, this week on Good Distinctions, again, if you've liked this, please like it, share, subscribe, and uh, we'll see you next time on Good Distinctions. Good Distinctions are the spice of life.